We've been in a series where we're, we're talking about what it looks like for us to cross over, what it looks like for God to take us from, from one place, sometimes physically, often metaphorically, to another place. And if we're honest, many of us are in transition or we, we, we just came out of a transition, but life really is transition. I mean, there's this proverb that you never step into the, the same river ever because the water's always flowing. It's always a changing river, and that is the experience of life. And so as we've looked at, at not Moses, as, at Joshua, we've seen that, that God had used Joshua and, and was using Joshua to move the people of God, the Israelites, from one place of being outside the promised land to, to now stepping into the fullness of the promise that he had for them. And we're learning that there are a lot of things that, that we can glean from this process. The first week we talked about this idea of preparing to cross over. This simple thought that God has called us up to something and he's given us promises for those things. As, as Christians, God's called us up to a, a standard of integrity, a standard of character, and God's given us his Holy Spirit who empowers us to live in such a manner, to say yes to God and say no to sin. As husbands and wives, God's called us up to this standard of fidelity and love and commitment and service in the context of marriage. And he's given us his Holy Spirit and the example of, of Christ himself who loved the church unto death. As parents, we're, we've been called up to something, to, to loving and caring for our children in such a way that we can nurture them, disciple them, train them up in the way that they should go with the hopes that they will follow in the footsteps of Christ. As, as employees, God has called us up to live lives that reflect character and integrity and honor. God has called us up to something. In week two, we talked about how God calls us to do the ordinary and trust him to do the extraordinary. And oftentimes we get those things mixed up. And we try to carry the weight that is only intended for God. Family, many times God gives us a burden, not so that we'll try and carry it, but so that we'll take it to him. He invites us into this opportunity to see him work. And then last week we talked about remembering what God has done in our lives and testifying to that. We talked about these, these really boulders, these huge rocks that the 12 men of Israel had pulled out from the middle of where the Jordan should be, right, the, the riverbed, and they had built this, this uh, stack of stones that were intended to be a place where kids would legitimately ask the question, what's, what's that about, Daddy? What's that about, Mommy? And that we would have opportunity to testify to the faithfulness of God. And the reality is that while we may not have stacks of stones at our house, we've got metaphorical moments that we can remember. But they're not just given to us to remember, they're given to us to testify. They're given to us so that we can comfort others with the comfort that's been given to us. And this week, we're going to be reminded of who calls the shots. Who calls the shots. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read out of Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If you're new, we have a habit, uh, a practice uh, of, of reading the Word of God aloud as a, as a congregation because it benefits us. So if you'll join me, if you're online, if you'll join me as well. We'll read Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, 
And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face onto the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that in this moment you would give us a vision of how big and great you are. God, I pray that you would, you would blow away our small ideas of who you are, of the, the small ideas of our purpose, the small ideas of our destiny, the small ideas of, of 80 years and then done. And God, I pray that, that as, we, as we look in your scriptures that we would see that when you call us to worship, when you call us to serve, when you call us to respond to you as Lord, you're calling us into a big and mighty and grand story. That the fact that we are not the heroes of our own stories is not a bad thing, it's not a disappointment, but it is a grace from you. God, I pray that we would see you for who you are. Jesus, I pray that we would see you for who you are. And that in seeing you for who you are, we would rightly see us as we ought to. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can be seated. Now this, this little snippet, it comes shortly after they, the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan. So they're crossing over the Jordan and, and they're facing Jericho up ahead. Uh, the, the generation of, of Israelites, they had come out of the promised land and they have just recently, the men have been circumcised, which is not a fun detail, but it's a necessary detail. They had not done this practice because these, these kids had grown up in the wilderness. And so God is about to do something with his people. And he says, well, if I'm going to do something with my covenant people, they need to reflect the fact that they are members of the covenant. And so they all get circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, don't Google it. Um, just ask Pastor Jermaine after service. Um, <laughs> and then they have Passover. They have their first Passover in, in Canaan, in the promised land, and it's in that moment that the provision of manna stops. And so it's in this position, they're, they're on the cusp of something. We've been talking about transition, and they're on the cusp of stepping into something. That we see, verse 13, it says this, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes. Now, before, if you were to read earlier on in the chapter, it's talking about Gilgal, so Gilgal is on one side, it's closer to the Jordan, and then you move further, and there's, there's Jericho, the first city that they're to take over. The first place that they're supposed to really, on, on this side of the Jordan, they're supposed to take on. And it's interesting that the, the writer of Joshua includes this, when, Josh, when Joshua was at Jericho. Why does he say that? Perhaps it, he, he's bringing the focus to Jericho because they're about to go and take over Jericho. I, I, I'm, I'm speculating, but I want you to come alongside with me. You know, I think last week we talked about this idea of, of 
playing it out in the, in the movie of your mind. And now Joshua was this man who he grew up, really he grew up in the wilderness. And he was one of the first 12 who was sent out by Moses to go spy the promised land. So when Moses is a leader, he, he's trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? The, the Israelites have left Egypt. They're in the wilderness, and, and he wants to spy. Moses wants to spy out the wilderness. So he selects tw- 12 individuals, two of whom are Caleb and Joshua, and they go and they spy it out. They go check it out, you know, what's going on. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, it's amazing. The fruit is amazing. The promises of God are true. It's going to be awesome. The other 10 say, yeah, but... Yeah, but there are some obstacles. Those obstacles are huge, scary individuals. We could never do this. Two people who were filled with faith, who had heard the promise of God, heard the call of God, and said, we're going to cross over. And then 10 people had said, we understand that God's called us to something. We understand that he is, he's promised some things, but our problems and our circumstances, our situation here is bigger than our God. And these two lived. <laughs> and God judged the 10 for their faithlessness. But, but think about that. This was, the, this, was, this was the grid through which he thought. I mean, he, he was, he's, he's like Navy SEALs level Israelite. He's seen some stuff. He went into battle and he won and he saw God do things. And I just have this sense, again, this is, this is pure speculation, but as we're trying to put flesh on God's word and we're trying to imagine this, I wonder if he was, he was scouting it out again. Because that's what he did. He was a military man. He was a warrior. And he was saying, okay, that's the next territory. I'm going to look around. I'm going I'm to be considering this. And, and if that's the case, I think that we can draw something from it that, that he had established a life of faithfulness where he was consistent to do the task that God had set before him to do. And that consistency had prepared him for this moment and allowed him to be in this place where God was going to speak to him. Now, that may not be the case, but principally, God does call us to a kind of faithfulness that allows us, if we will walk in it, to hear from him more and more consistently. This is why we talk about reading the Bible every day. Because some days you read the Bible and you're like, well, that was a genealogy. I don't know what to do with that. I mean, there are parts of Joshua that we will not read where it just talks about the divisions of, of property. You know, such and such got this land. There are this many people. Uh, such and such got this. And, and, it, and it's this sort of thing where when you read it, you're kind of like, uh, okay. But the, the, the simple act of faithfully studying God's word over time positions you such that you, you are familiar with the voice of God, and when God wants to speak into a specific circumstance, when he wants to say something to you, your ears are tuned to his channel. I think that's kind of what's going on with Joshua. Now, again, that's speculation, perhaps not. But he's there by Jericho, and he, he's confronted with this individual. It says, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him, with his drawn sword in hand. Now, this is, this is significant. And, and again, I don't know if he had a company of men with him or if he was by himself, but Joshua's a, he's a tough guy because look at how he responds. And, he's, and Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Right? 
If someone comes, you know, if you're looking around and all of a sudden someone has a gun pointed at you, you have to be a pretty tough individual to be saying, are you on my side or my enemy's side? Right, to step up and say something like that. He, he's a tough dude. And of course he's a tough, I mean, he has seen God move. It's fascinating to me. He says, are you for us or for my adversaries? And, and I want us to tie some things together and then we'll make some, some conclusion based on what we see here. It says in verse 14, and he said, no. Do you want to go, uh, do you want to go get, um, you know, fried chicken or Thai food? No. Okay. Do you, do you, you know, should we go this way or that way? No. This guy, he was on a different page, whoever this individual is. We're going to find out in just a moment who he is. But he, he, he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. That word commander can mean prince, can mean ruler, leader. Of the army of the Lord, the word there, Lord, is Yahweh, lest there be any sort of confusion. Now I have come. And, and let's look at how he responds, because the question is, who is this guy? Right? Okay, he's, he's got a sword. He's an army person. He's, he's the commander of the Lord's army. That's a significant title. Um, and how does Joshua respond? And Joshua fell on his face fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now we need to pause there. This individual has claimed to be the commander of the army of the Lord, right? So they are somehow aligned with Yahweh himself. They are aligned with God. Now, I want you to listen to how another individual who is aligned with God responds when someone falls down and tries to worship. In, in Revelation, chapter 22, in, um, we see this. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. John is John the apostle. He's seeing a vision. That's what Revelation is about. And he says, I saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down, what? Listen to this. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the word of this book. Worship what? God. What does this guy say? Joshua goes and worships, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Oh. Theologians call this moment and moments like this, especially in the Old Testament, a theophany. Coming from Greek, theos means God and um, phame, which means to, to reveal. So this is, a, this, is a, this is a pre-incarnate revelation of God. God himself has come as the, as the commander, as the prince, as the Lord of the army of the Lord. And Joshua responds correctly. And I love this. When Joshua thinks he's just a guy, no fear. No fear whatsoever. No fear of man. Oh, I don't know about this guy. He's kind of scary. He's got a sword. No. He's like, are we going to do this or not? I'm ready to do this. God sent me on a mission. I'm pretty sure I'm going to win. Hopefully you're not on the enemy's side because you're going to lose. 
But the moment he realizes who it is, his demeanor and his disposition changes. And he realizes that this guy is not just anybody. Whose side are you on? You know, one of the reasons I I was so excited to, to look at this text is because I'm afraid that many times when we think about God, we think about him being on our side. Family, God is not on your side. Now, don't go tweet that because there's a dot, dot, dot with some caveats there. There's some nuance that we need to talk about. God is not on your side in the sense that you tell him your plans and your purposes and then he comes and makes that happen. God is not your sous chef. God is not your, your vice president. God is not your, uh, your genie in a bottle. God is not the one who makes your dreams come true. Now, if your dreams align with his purposes, he may make your dreams come true. But your dreams and your purposes don't terminate there. You know, uh, there, there are these kinds of paintings that people make, and, and if you step back, it's, it's this amazing picture of, you know, a, a portrait or something like that. But, but if you look in close, you'll see that that portrait is made up of smaller pictures. It's called a mosaic. And, you know, the, the, the amazing beauty of that picture is in the fact that someone was able to incorporate a bunch of smaller pictures to then create a bigger picture. They were able to take small pieces of art and have the wherewithal to, to put them together such that when you, when you step back, you see the real beauty of the composition. Now, our tendency as humans is to say, this is the most beautiful thing. Look right here at this small square. This is, look at my square. This is my square. It's so pretty. And, and I, your, your square is pretty. It's a beautiful square. I love your square. I care about your squares. As a pastor, it is my job to care about your square. I'm so thankful to be a part of your squares. <laughs> but I, I'm also responsible to call us up so that we can all step back and say, what, what is God, what composition is God making? You know, Paul talks about it as the body. He says that, you know, there are many parts, but one body. And oftentimes we want to say, no, but, no, but the, this part's the most important part. This is the biggest part. This is the best part. Some of us, on the other hand, we feel like, oh, my part isn't very great. God's not really given me anything. I feel like I'm the vestigial organ of the body of Christ. I'm that flappy piece that we don't know what it does. But God says, no, no, I'm making something here. God is not on your side. Now, he may invite you to be on his side, and you may have the privilege of living exactly what, God, what you want to do because God has so intended that, that you walking in your, the things that you enjoy and find, find satisfaction in are the things that God wants you to walk in because that reflects his glory. But God is not on your side. In, in this scenario, if we were playing dodgeball, God's the team captain. He's picking the teams. 
I'm not picking the teams and saying, I get God. God, you stand over here beside me and we're going to destroy this other team. But, but that is the tendency. That is the temptation. That is idolatry, is to say, God, you're on my team. And I'm God. Are you, our, are you for us or against us? No. This, is, this has so many applications. God is, God is for a lot of things that may align with your political party. It does not mean that God is a member of your political party. You know, I remember, I talk about China a lot, but that's because it was very impactful for me. I remember going to China, and, and you know, some of you have grown up in families with other languages, and maybe some of you have been in places where you don't understand the language, and for a while it just, it just sounds like buzzing. It's just a little, it's a little oppressive at times. And then finally your, your brain gets comfortable with it. And, and I remember being in China and thinking, God speaks Chinese natively. He doesn't have to make it up. He didn't, you know, he didn't get on Pimsler or Rosetta Stone. Like he knows Chinese. He's pretty good at it, actually. You know, he, and, and he's not some white guy with a beard up in heaven. He's not some half Korean guy with a beard up in heaven. God, he's he's just as comfortable and the people of God in Korea or China or Africa, Europe, are as much his people through Christ as, as we are his people. And they're not on, he's not on their side, they're on his side. God is the hero, and we see that here. He said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And how does Joshua respond? He falls on his face and worships. Two things, he worships and he obeys. When, when we come into the presence of God, our proper response is worship. And most often, the reason that we don't worship is because we don't realize we're in the presence of God. The reason we don't give God the honor that is due to him is because we don't realize with whom we are dealing. Who are we dealing with? He's, he worships. And he doesn't just worship. Verse 15 says this, And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, this was, this was not the first occasion of something like this. If we were to go back to Exodus chapter 3, um, let me just read this to you. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law in Jethro. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Well, that's interesting. Why is the bush not being burned? When the Lord saw, he turned aside to see. God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, listen to this. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God is many things. But one thing that, that he is that we need to recognize is he is holy. And, and we live in a, a world where being casual is king. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, this would, I would have been considered a vagrant at church. <laughs> you, need to, you need to tuck that in, button the top button, put on a clip-on tie, and sit down and be, you know, and you're not wearing jeans, you're wearing slacks, polyester slacks from Kmart, because that's how we rule. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had that outfit, and then you had, and it was a white shirt, it wasn't this, and, and, and then I had my pink button-up short sleeve shirt with a bow tie that it was short sleeve because we were in Alabama that we had at Easter. Maybe short sleeve wasn't your thing. Maybe that was, that's, that's too far too. That's a little edgy. <laughs> Some of you, anyhow. We live in a, we live in a culture that, that it kind of exalts comfort, that exalts casualness, where this idea that being your truest self means you can't put on a, a blazer, you can't like wear a, a you know, a button up shirt, you, know, you just come as you are. And, and I'm thankful for, like, come as you are, absolutely. But then when we step into the presence of God, there has to be a recognition that, that this being who I'm worshiping, this individual that I'm encountering, he deserves the kind of honor and respect unlike anything else. That's, that's why we stand when we worship. That's why we stand while we, we read the word of God. Because I'm not reading Harry Potter up here. I'm reading the literal words of God. And when, when we do that, we need to give those words the honor and respect due to them. You know, I know that this is true of my life at times, and I would imagine it's true of your life. As I, I talk about this a lot, but, but as you read the Bible, I think one of the challenges with reading the Bible is you don't realize you're reading the words of God. You're like, I'm reading this book, it's written by Zondervan or, you know, whatever, and it's got a lot of language that I don't know about. I don't know why there's a city called I... I don't know, you know, who these people are. Like, it, it's, it's foreign to us. And that's fair. Right? The, the, the reality is God has taken Scripture and it is, a, it is both human and it is divine. Right? The, the writers of Scripture, they didn't just, they didn't just uh, download or go into a trance and start writing stuff. God in his sovereignty, he was able to speak through these people, through their personalities, through their situations, through their, their circumstances, and say exactly what God wanted to say as they said what they wanted to say. That's the beauty of scripture, is that it is not some sort of forced dictation. But it is still the word of God. And when we come to it, we need to take our hats off, we need to listen, and we need to take our proverbial shoes off and recognize that we are dealing with not, not a person's opinion, but with God. This, this is why when I talked about verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he's lifted up, and I was like, maybe this is the situation, because you can take that or leave it. My, 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 the way I was describing that situation, you can take it or leave it. 
I may not be accurate in that. And that's fine for you not to take what I think might be the case and, and live your life. And in fact, don't do that. Don't take my ideas and my thoughts apart from what Scripture says and the principles of Scripture and try and elevate them to some level. But when we talk about falling on our feet or falling on our face and, and taking our shoes off because where we're standing is holy, that is not opinion. God is holy. And one of the ways that we show his holiness is by obeying. Take off your sandals, Joshua, from, from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, I, I, I wondered, why, why didn't God just speak to him? You know, if you were to read a little bit earlier, God, we see God speaking to him in a, you know, maybe he hears it audibly or he hears it in his head. We don't know exactly. But God doesn't necessarily come to him as a person and say, this is my plan. Why in this moment does he come as the Lord of, or the, the commander of the army of the Lord and talk to him? Well, it's because they are about to take on Jericho and they're about to step into the, the promise of God. They're about to embark on this side of the Jordan on some military endeavors that are going to require a kind of faith that I think that, that God was trying to establish in Joshua. Because he wasn't going to say, okay, go and take that city. He was going to say, go and walk around that city seven times or for seven days and watch me take it down. And I think in this moment, God was giving him an opportunity to see that there is a general, there is a commander, there is a prince, there is a ruler, and there's an army that you don't even know about. And if you will trust me in this moment, you are going to see amazing things. Family, we serve a holy God who is the Lord of his army and when he calls you into things, he may not show up with the sword, but he is calling you into things with the same level of intensity, the same level of sincerity, the same conviction that you can do what he calls you to do that he does here with Joshua. Husbands, God calls you to love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he calls you with the kind of conviction that, that Joshua receives when he encounters this man with the sword. Wives, God calls you to be faithful to your husbands. And he calls you to do that very difficult task because your husbands, mine, me as an example, but he calls you to that because he knows that he is going to help you in that process. Parents, he calls you to have faith for your children with the same intensity that he calls Joshua and says, you're going to take Jericho. And family, he's calling us to do some amazing things as a congregation. I know there's, there are a lot of amazing things that God is doing in our congregation. I could go and talk for quite some time about it. But God is calling us to love Sterling, to love the Route 7 corridor, to <clears throat> reach out to all these suburbs where individuals who, who travel into D.C. every day are there and waiting to hear the gospel. He's calling us to share the gospel. He's calling us to love them. He's calling us to be sacrificial. He's calling us to give more than we have. Time, money, energy, resources. But he's calling us with the same kind of intensity 
And I promise you, with the same kind of confirmation that we have here with Joshua. This man, this, this angel of the Lord, this theophany, God decided to show up to Joshua to show him, you aren't going to fight these fights. I'm going to fight these fights for you. Now, certainly they had to fight. But I promise you that Joshua's, his prowess, his skill as a, as a leader wasn't the defining or the deciding fact of whether they would succeed. And in your life, your performance is not going to be the deciding characteristic of whether or not God's purposes succeed in your life. Philippians 1 says, I am thankful and I believe that God will finish what he started. Now, he may not finish what you start. He may... He may kill some things that you start, <laughs> but he will finish what he starts in your life. We're talking about crossing over, transitioning from, from one place of God's purpose and, and promise to another place of God's purpose and promise. And my hope is that as we, as we listen to the word, as we engage with scripture, that our faith rises to the level that Joshua was raised to. You know, maybe, maybe you go home and you open your door and there, there's the commander of the Lord's army. I'm not saying that God won't do that. But I will tell you that, that the real normative way that God speaks to us is through his word and through the Christian brothers and sisters in our life around us. But if we will listen, he will stir up the same kind of conviction and passion that he stirred up for Joshua here. God is Lord. We're on his team. And he's going to do something so we can worship and obey. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you, you invite us to be part of your team. God, I thank you that, that you love us you love us enough to, to open our eyes to see that, that our little square is not the whole picture. God, I pray that for every individual in this room that, that we would catch a real vision of, of the bigness of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish in our lives. That we are part of something bigger than ourselves. If you've come here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's it's really the first step of being incorporated into this bigger picture. And God says that because of our own sin and disobedience, because we have done things we shouldn't have done and didn't do things we should have done, that there is a just punishment that's really that, that we deserve. But that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for our sins, to pay for our sins in our place. And he rose again proving that he was victor over Satan, sin, and death. And God promises that anyone who trusts not in their own ability, but trusts in Jesus will, will receive new life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and love to pray with you? If you're online, if you could just let one of our hosts know. Let me just pray this 
There's nothing magical in the prayer. It's just a response of what God's doing. God, I, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, and I turn to you, Jesus. And I ask you to help me to live a life recognizing that you're the hero and that your purposes are better than mine. Lord, help me to live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.